You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by Upland Brits, B Pro Kennels, Final Rise, and a Nook Shook Professional Dog Food. And you're listening to episode 74. It's a part two episode with Kelly Aiken from Quantanus Irish Setters. Big thanks to our title sponsor, B Pro Kennels. B Pro Kennels is a small business creating ultra high quality and custom dog boxes for the gun dog owner like you and I. No matter how big your string of dogs, B Pro Kennels will make sure you have a box that fits your needs for you and your gun dogs. With an innovative storage design and built-in solar panel and battery bank for quick access to charging accessories like dog collars, lights, fans, you name it. This is a dog box unlike anything you've seen before. Check them out at bprokennels.com. Oh, and they're made right here in the USA. This podcast is also presented to you by Final Rise. All good things start with a solid foundation. At Final Rise, all three of their premium Upland vests are built around the foundational waist belt to provide you all-day comfort and endless customization. With a secure waist belt and thin, high-quality shoulder harness, this is the vest you can load down with birds and walk all day in. Final Rise is creating high-functioning Upland gear that delivers comfort, balance, and a lifetime of memories. Check them out at finalrise.com. And this podcast is sponsored by Trinity Bretons, home of the Epignol Breton, also known as the French Brittany. All Trinity Breton dogs are from champion bloodlines that are field-tested and family-approved. For over 33 years, Trinity Bretons has worked to offer you the best-bred Epignol Breton in the country. Trinity offers puppies, the Trinity Upland Academy with George Hickox, started dogs, stud services, and a whole lot more. Check them out at trinitybertons.com. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Upland Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Will Larson, and we got another good one for you today. Uh, This is part two of uh, a two-part episode with Kelly Aiken from Quantanus Irish Setters. Um, Had such a good conversation with her. There's a lot of of good content um, to our our chat, and so decided to break it up into two parts. So if you haven't listened to the part one yet... uh, episode 73 i'd suggest pausing right now go back uh to episode 73 listen to that and then jump on back to number 74 um we talk a little more um uh about gated horses a little bit about trialing uh breeding uh red setters um in this episode i know we touched on that a little bit in the first one but uh, we unpack that a little bit further on this one um other than that i'll keep this intro pretty short um i know we got uh, i got some really, really cool guests uh, coming up here in the next couple weeks. Um, February is going to be a busy one. <laughs> got uh, got some good ones um, on tap. And so make sure you guys uh, are subscribed to the podcast. Um, don't forget, head over to patreon.com. I'll be doing another giveaway over at Patreon soon. Uh, so patreon.com and become a patron, patreon patron. I think that's how you say it. Um, for as little as, little as five bucks a month, uh, you'll be entered into giveaways. Um, get some insider uh, scoop over there. So if you're not already a Patreon supporter, head on over there. If you are uh, a supporter on Patreon, thank you so much. Um, really, really means a lot. 
you guys uh, supporting the show that way. You can also support the show by uh, subscribing to the podcast, leaving a rating and review, and also sharing it on social media. Um, Other than that, it is freezing cold in my garage. So without further ado, we're going to jump right into the episode uh, part two with Kelly Aiken. Um, In one one place. So that's that's kind of a culmination. Yeah, that's so cool. That's so cool. Um, this is this is kind of similar to the, the the our closing question at the very end of the podcast, but like specifically for trials, like what's a piece of advice you would give someone who would like to maybe they've been considering getting into trials? Um, like, what's a piece of advice you would you'd give to a newcomer who's who's interested in trying it? Um, I I think that what you do if you can go to a walking trial and and take your dog, that's awesome. Um, what you do is you find somebody who um, will help you learn about the sport, um, find a mentor, um, and the good the good breeders out there and the good competitors are happy to mentor you and to help you become competitive and learn. Um, that's the best thing you can do because when you go in, you know, and you don't know anyone and you don't have anything to help you get started, um, you're at a disadvantage. If you reach out to somebody um, who's happy to help, you know, there's so many people out there who would be, love to take on a, a mentee and teach them, you know, and help them become successful. I think that's mm-hmm. that's what you, you should do, um, you know, and that that's in the sport of dogs in general, not just field trials, you know, whether sure. it be breeding or hunting, you know, having some somebody who can teach you the things is going to give you a leg up. So that's, that's the best thing I can suggest is find Mm. a mentor. Yeah. That's awesome. That is awesome. Um, I was going to ask you something and I forgot what it was. (laughs) (laughs) Story of my life. You ask me a question and like, you know, I start to answer and then I go into sort of a tangent and I'm like, wait, 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 what was the question? That's, that's where we were. So (laughs) that's where we were. Um, I'm going to kind of go to the the training side of things for a little bit here where, you know, it sounds like you're doing the training yourself. Is that correct for your dogs? You're doing all, all the yeah, training yourself? I, nowadays, I'm training my own dogs before. Okay. I, and I should say, like, I've trained most of my own dogs. Um, the exception has been um, at one point, I, well, when first starting off, I had a mentor who um, was just a fellow amateur who kind of taught me um, the basics. And I utilized a program called... Um, from Mo Lindley, who has this book called training with Mo. And that was my, that's my foundation for training my own dogs. Um, my mentor from the field trial world and from the field world does not use the same method as I use to train. Um, but, um, I am, I use Mo's methods, um, and there's times like when I went overseas to um, work or, you know, for the army or when I was contracting overseas at those points in time, um, my dogs went to a pro and, you know, they, the pro would just continue in the training methods, you know, mm-hmm. continue with that dog's training and progress them. So um, I am not the sole reason that all of my dogs are where they are, but, um, you know, because thankfully I've had a mentor who took my dogs when I was, you know, overseas and, and sure. progressed them. Um, but I am training, you know, I continue to train my dogs. I've broke out most of my dogs that I have now and in, yeah. in, in the process of breaking my own dogs. So I am, That's awesome. I like to do it myself. I really do. Sure. There's yeah, exceptions, there's, but yeah. Oh yeah, of course. But there, yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of pride and a lot of, I mean, working with your dog and seeing, 
you know, the trials and errors, but then getting to the end result, like that's, it's a fun, as you know, it's a fun thing to do and, and see the outcome together. It's, it's pretty special. Absolutely. You know, and, and the nice thing is, is that because I have a mentor, when I have something that I've not encountered before, um, between going to somebody like Mo who wrote the, you know, who has designed, you know, this program that makes it easy to follow or to go to my mentor and say, hey, this is the issue I'm seeing. What would you do? Um, you know, that's kind of the, the, the nice part is you have these people to rely on, um, sure. you know, and so I don't just have to look at my own toolbox. I can help ask people for help with their tools that they've used mm. and, and progress my dogs that way. So, yeah, absolutely. What I guess, or yeah, how did you kind of land on that training method for, for you and your dogs? Is that, is it the one that just kind of made sense for you? Did you, were there components that you just said, Oh, that I really like that. Or like, what was that process? like? For I, you? Really, it came down to um, the fellow amateur that was helping me uses that method. And so it just made sense okay. for me to try it as well. And it's worked well for me, um, you know, nice. and I, I this, the you know, the online support and the um, number of people that use that method, they've just been, you know, there's there's always people that are willing to help and to talk mm -hmm. through things with you. Um, and, you know, the book is there if you have to go back and reread it. So it's just, it's something that basically, um, it just made sense for me to, to try this way out. Um, you know, I had watched some of the videos from other pros and, and, and methods and such, and I'm sure they would work great for me. It's just not what my um, fellow amateurs were using at the time. Mm. So, you know, it was so easy to have somebody local who was using the same method because yeah. that way we knew exactly what needed to be done, sure. um, you know, to, to help each other progress. Yeah, that's so cool. Can you walk me through, I'm always curious when, I love to ask people who, who, who again, have, have some experience with several dogs of their own like what is your method like developing a young puppy like in the first let's say like six to eight months you own that that puppy like what do you like to do with that pup as you you know gain them exposure and, and help them develop like do you have a process that you walk through in, those, in that first those, those first seven eight months or something um, like that sure yeah it just um you know like I would say that I do less with birds than most people would do at a young age. I'm going okay. to make sure the puppy has the desire to point early on. Um, you know, I'm going to introduce them to a wing on a string or whatever when they're baby puppies. And then I'm going to introduce, you know, let them um, hopefully point a live, you know, a couple of live birds here and there. But really, um, I find that it's more important for me to be taking my puppy on walks and getting them exposure to things and teaching them that, you know, they should be going where I'm going. And I want them to do it naturally and not with a lot of effort later on. Mm -hmm. So if they start doing it now, if they start, you know, turning when I turn now, it makes it that much easier later on. You know, these dogs, mm -hmm. I like to develop dogs with wheels, but it's more so important that they learn to handle as young dogs. So, mm -hmm. you know, when they're less than six months old, I'm going to be teaching them to go with me, mm -hmm. to come to me. Um, and to be aware of, of what I, you know, what I'm, what I'm asking and when I'm asking it. Mm. So, um, the, the rest of it kind of falls into place later on. Um, sure. you know, if they, if I can get them into birds, wild birds is important. Sure. Um, at a younger age, that's awesome. And that's sure. important. 
I don't want my dogs to catch birds. So um, pen raised loose birds um, yeah, aren't yeah, not, ideal. Not mess for with what, that. Yeah. yeah, for the way I do things, it's not what I want to do. You know, pigeons are great because you can flush, you know, flush them, pop them, whatever, and they're going to fly sure. off. Um, but really, the the birds aren't the, my priority um, unless I can get them into wild birds as young dogs. So, gotcha. and that's where, depending on the time of year they're born, if I can take them into summer camp and get them exposed on wild birds, you you can't do anything better than that because that's right. going to ignite that fire. So that's where yeah. I'm at with my young dogs. Um, but I'm lucky because awesome. I have the ability to get them into wild, you know, birds. This isn't the way to do it for everybody. Sure, it's what sure. works is... for me with my yeah, dogs. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, that's so important. It's, it's what works for you and your dogs and what your experience is. And so some, yeah, people, you know, be like, oh, well I do it this way. Okay, great. You do it that way. <laughs> and this person, right. like, <laughs> if that works for you, that's great. And, it's and like, you know, if, if somebody who lives in an area that doesn't have access to wild birds was to try it my way, it wouldn't, it wouldn't go well because right, right. they'd never see any birds. Right. Um, so, like my dog so, hasn't seen a bird in three years. Right. Like <laughs> you're, you've officially screwed yourself over because right. this isn't what should, you know, you should be doing right. because you don't have the same circumstances totally. that I have. Totally. So, are you, um, I'm just curious, are you a believer in like pigeons out of a launcher or foot trap or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. And when it comes to the breaking process, I'm going to be doing okay. um, launcher. I'm going to use launchers because the minute, you know, and, and as you know, the Maurice, Maurice's book will tell you the, the, um, the minute that dog starts to, you know, to progress on that bird or whatever, you're going to need to get that bird out of there mm-hmm. because the bird is what's teaching that dog not to, not to take that step. Not me. Sure. It's, you know, they're, they're learning from that bird. So yes, sure. absolutely. Pigeons are very important. Um, yeah. you know, wild birds are going to essentially hopefully do the same thing, but pigeons sure. is where you can really get that timing down. Yeah. Yeah. With yeah, electronic release, like, yeah, one little mm-hmm. step. Yeah. Bird yep. gone. Bird's gone. Fun's over. And, yeah. And, uh, well, that sucks. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Sorry, bud, but you did that to yourself. <laughs> right. Right. When, um, again, generally speaking, like, when will you uh, go through the the formal breaking process with one of your dogs? Year, when the dog's two years, ready. three years. Okay. Um, with this breed, with with Irish setters, they are late matures. They're not. And and I say that in general, some sure. there's exceptions to every rule. I have a dog yeah. who essentially broke himself at 12, 13 months old. Um, you know, he just, he wanted to watch the birds fly away. Like that was once you told him mm-hmm. that's what he was supposed to do. He, that's what he did. Um, wow. That is not the rule. That is the exception. Um, you know, for the most part, I'm looking at um, starting to break them out you know, starting to teach them to stand still through the bird flying away. Um, we're going to be learning that somewhere after eight, 15 to 18 months. And you, I would like it to be understood by the time they're two or two and a quarter. I mean, you sure. know, they. it just depends on when they were born because there's certain times that I'm able to do more with them than sure. less. So, um, you know, summer camp and winter camp are the ideal times for me to really get some fine tuning. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, we're, we're hunting and that's yeah. a hard time to expect a dog to be broke. So right, right. Um, every <laughs> dog is different. Difficult. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you have a favorite, like if you're picking up a new puppy, like a spring puppy, a fall puppy, where, where'd you um, like your ideal 
ideally they'd be born shortly after January 1st. <laughs> that's that's the <laughs> like, for, like between January 1st and the 5th or <laughs> Yeah, 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 that's ideal. Um it just it maximizes the amount of time that I can um progress them as a derby for American Field. Um, oh, okay. in the grand scheme of things it doesn't matter. You know, my favorite event is the Irish Southern National Field Trial and they can run in the derby until they're um 2 years old and that's in early November, late October and mm-hmm. they can run in the futurity um the year right before they turn three so if they're born after november 15th and you know that's great but really if they're born january 1st or thereafter it really gives me the most amount of time i can have the oldest dog going into that event which means they're going to be more mature and have a better you know usually more developed so that's kind of the best time frame for me um, yeah yeah you know overall yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Well, let's let's get into these these Irish setters a little bit more. Um, you are my officially my first guest that owns Irish setters, so congratulations on that. First hey, off. hey, there's just so many of us. I, so. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell us tell us a little bit more about um, I guess from your knowledge, your your own experience. Like, tell us a little bit more. Give us an overview, maybe of um, of the breed, if you could. Well. So, like I mentioned, this breed is tends to be slow to mature. Um, but what I think, um, you know, as as a whole, you know, they can lack resilience. So it's really important that you go to somebody who's going to um, produce, you know, work on resilience. Want those tough dogs that can take corrections and go forward and train well, because you know, it's it's. Um, you know, I've seen Irish setters that you make a correction on and they just quit. And that's not, that's not the kind of thing we want. So, you're, you know, if you're looking at this breed, you, you want something that can, is trainable um, and is, is a little tough um, or has that toughness. So um, that's, that's a bit about the Irish setter in general is um, it's not super common to find that it's, they're not all like that. Um, they tend to want to do a job. They have a good work ethic. Um, you know, they, they like to go do things. Um, they also really do well with a lot of excitement in their lives and, and positive things. Hmm. Um, I like to produce dogs who, um, who like to have a job and like to do whatever it is that you ask of them, whether it's, you know, go on your walk um, to a certain place or learn agility or do basic obedience. Like they like to put, have things in information and uh, work put into them because that's, that's going to increase their quality of life. Um, and they tend to thrive when they have that input. So, um, but this breed, you know, you're you're going to have a bit of a variety between the show style dogs and the field bred dogs. Show style dogs are going to be much larger with more hair, um, okay. and the field bred dogs are going to be smaller with less less coat. So okay. um, they they tend to be pretty even on the health end of things. We're going to see some cancer and and whatnot. Um, we don't tend to be as prone to things like bloat because we're not quite, the field side is not quite as deep chested um, okay. as the show side. So you'll see a little less likelihood. It's still there, um, it, but okay. it's not quite as prominent. So the, the, and the um, field, sorry, the field dogs, again, female, male, average size of, of one of those or, or take a couple of your dogs. Like what, what okay. size are so we talking? My males are going to probably average right about, um, 45 to 50 pounds, maybe 53 pounds. Um, my females are going to look to be right around 35, 37 pounds. That's really okay. the average weight that I see. Um, and I've, 
I want a little more size. I would like to breed towards a little more size and I have bred to slightly okay. larger field dogs to get that size. Um, but it doesn't always work out like that. Um, sure. so, but, um, I feel like if you go too small, you, you can't push through that cover that we're hunting so often. Um, and if you go too big, it can be really hard and a lot of effort to get, um, go for as long as I like to go. So, Mm. um, you know, it's that fine middle medium that I'm really shooting for. So, um, I'd like my females around 40 pounds and I'd like my males around 50 pounds. That would be pretty ideal for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, are they, I know you mentioned their, with their temperament a little bit, um, are they comparable to a Brittany? And like some people will say Britneys are soft. If you're you know too hard on them, they might shut down. Is, is that kind of what you're talking about with their temperament, or um, would you say yeah, they're different like, than a Brittany? I I well I haven't ever trained with Britneys that I can think of, so it's hard for me to really fairly okay. analyze that. But what I what I do know is that um, there's I want my dog to be able to like. I've seen Irish setters that when you correct them with a very, very low stimulation or make them do it the way they're supposed to do it, meaning like set them back on a bird or, or, you know, however you're going to do your correction, whether it's a hands-on or if it's a electrical situation, um, there's, there's Irish setters out there who can't take that, who don't take it well. Hmm. Um, and that's something that we really need to steer clear of because, you know, if you can't, if this dog can't train, if it can't, you know, even if you're being super light handed, if, if they don't want to do it the way you want them to do it, then, then why should we be, you know, why, why do we breed those? Um, sure. we shouldn't be perpetuating that. And, and I've produced dogs who don't want to do it the way you do it and they shouldn't be bred. They should be, you know, neutered and placed in a pet home. And that's probably going to be the best thing for them. But, um, so they can be stubborn and, and I think that's probably just as common as, um, soft in this breed. So, um, you know, you, you just, we just have to be aware of what's out there and what we're producing and try to produce, um, you know, dogs who are more able, more better able to, um, to want to do things the way we want to do them. Absolutely. So, um, in, in your breeding program, what are some of the things like, is there anything you're looking to improve overall in the breed? Like when you're, when you're deciding breedings and, and who, you know, who you're going to breed, um, are there things in the breed that, that you want to improve that need to be improved or anything? So I think for, for my dogs, what I need to improve is, um, the ability to be broke out a little earlier. I'd mm. like my dogs to be broke, um, you know, by two, I think that's, that's reasonable. I think I should be able to start to break them a little sooner. Um, and most of my dogs aren't quite ready for it then. And that's where I think it's important for people who purchase dogs for me, um, for my breeding to be, you know, aware of what we're looking at and when they're going to be ready. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can't have these people who want broke dogs at one. It's just not going to, sure. you know, 99% of the time it's not right. going to be my dog. So that's something I would like my dogs to be, to mature a little earlier. Sure. Um, and that's probably the breed on a whole. We're just slow. We're just yeah. slower. Yeah. We're Irish, you know, we're probably <laughs> drinking a little too much and doing <laughs> stupid things and laughing. <laughs> about it like my dogs you know they tend to la- sure. wag their tail and think it's really funny yeah. um and i guess i'd rather have that than sulking so yeah yeah you're <laughs> but, like I guess, at least um, you're positive i guess so right right so i'd like my dogs to be a little more natural have a little more natural ability to be broke out yeah. earlier um you so, know that's, so with that's that as a as a breeder someone who's breeding these dogs it, then does your mind then go to okay i want to find another you know high quality field 
setter. Yes. That is just that matured earlier and the parents matured earlier. Is that kind of what you're looking for? That's kind of, and that's a direction that I've gone in my breeding program. I've acquired a a female from a line and this female was able to be broke out really early. She wanted to be broke. She wants to do it right. Mm. I acquired her. I'll add her into my program. And I think she is going to breed really well into it. And hopefully she's going to be prepotent for that trait. And Mm. I've also bred, um, one of you know my my a bitch reason i've bred her to um a dog from that same kennel who um is it, you know his his lines through and through they're broke as derby dogs so they're broke before they're mm. two they're doing you know they want to do it right and they also have um a little more run than i've had in the past and that's important for for me because i like the bigger running dogs so yeah. um you know i'm trying to get those things but i'm also trying not to lose what i have sure. which i think i have those darker colored dogs i have structurally sound dogs i have mm. dogs that are passing their health testing so yeah. you know it's you, you gotta you got to hold on to, to some the, of your things. The good and components. Yeah, there. yeah, it's really important to, <laughs> to maintain what's important to you and yeah. still try to improve the breed. And I think that's in any dog breeding situation. You know, you're trying to reach that standard, but you're also not trying to not lose certain qualities that you like so much. So. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And again, and you talked about range a little bit. Um, is that going to really vary across the breed in general as well? Or are they, are they a a rangy a rangy dog no it's gonna it's all over the board even when i breed my biggest running dog to my biggest running dog there's gonna probably be one puppy in the litter who's going to you know be a hundred yard dog just a real a foot a gentleman's gun dog um you know that that isn't going to reach out as as far as i want um and then on the other end of the spectrum there's probably going to be a dog in that litter who's going to be like i don't give a heck where you are i'm gonna go run as big as I, i'm gonna go do what i want sure. so so you know it's that's the that's the challenge with this sure. breed is is there's not there's not a lot of predictability there's certain breeders who do have that predictability and who have that tightly bred situation you know line bred um kennel and yeah. and i'm still working to to find components to help fine-tune my own breeding program so yeah. um so yeah this this but as a whole this breed is all over the place um yeah. and that's just the way it is and and <laughs> i try to tell my own you know my buyers that you know the more you put into these dogs as, as babies the more you work with them and mm. and teach them how to do it right the better they're going to be and the easier they're going to train later on yeah, absolutely. Um, how do you know they? Uh, how do they? How would they compare to an English setter? As far as I guess, temperament, hunting style, big difference, similarities. Um, I think that they're they're going to be very similar in the hunting style and application, um, and independence is if. Um, for the most part, the dogs I'm producing, I'm going to be, I'm going to say they're equally as um, wide on that independent range. You'll get some that are bigger running, some that are sure. closer hunting, so on and so forth. Um, they are going to, I expect my English, like an English setter to be more steady quicker, be ready to be broke quicker. That's mm-hmm. not always the case, but, you know, I'd like to say there's a lot of dabbling between the English setters and the pointers in the breeding world. And so mm. I expect my English setters to be more like, you know, more prone to being broker early on um, and be more staunch naturally early mm. on. These Irish setters are going to take, you, you know, if you're going to have them broke through the flush and shot, you're going to have to put that into them. They're not naturally going to be like, you know, they're, mm, okay. they, they need that work. So 
English setters are going to be easier to train for an average hunter or an average okay. person. Gotcha. Hey, gosh. Well, those, those Irish setters, they are beautiful dogs. I will say they are, they, they are stylish. They, their coat, pretty their color, dogs their, their with their a build. pretty girl and a pretty horse. Yeah. 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 No, I'm 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 talking about the dogs. I'm talking about the dogs are freaking awesome. Uh, it's the worst uh, when a judge comes up to, to you after an event yeah. and says, yeah, but your dog sure is pretty. I'm like, well, thanks. Oh, that didn't help me today. Oh, so, no, just, just no. I try not to get offended say, when someone's like, right, oh, right. it's so pretty. <laughs> It just they just look like badass dogs, honestly. Um, and when I look at again, whether it's some of your dogs I've seen online or some other uh, nice English setters or uh, Irish setters I've seen, it's like I really like the little bit smaller. Like just mm-hmm. they look, they look ripped, they look <laughs> built well, and uh, they just yeah, they look like a nice, nice looking dog for sure. Thanks. Yep. We like, we like our dogs. That's for sure. And yeah. I like them. I like them to look good. You know, they have yeah. to point birds and they have to look good. So yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, if I could have one more training question for you, but I don't think I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are, are, they're not a very common dog, correct? Correct. Okay. Cause I, I haven't seen personally seen a lot of them. You don't hear about them a ton. Is that just, are, are they kind of a, would you call it like a niche breed or a? Um, I mean, I'm, I hope not. It's hard to be a niche breed. Um, it, you can have a lot to overcome being a niche breed, but I, I feel like, um, there's a lot of preconceived notions about this breed. Um, hmm. you know, a lot of people assume that because I have AKC Irish setters that they are big and dumb and, don't know what a bird is and, oh, really? um, you know, so on and so forth. So there's a lot of these people that, that have heard from their brother's neighbor's uncle that these dogs are <laughs> very reliable not, source, by right, the way. Yep. Yep. Um, very verbatim reliable. that they, uh-huh. they know what they know. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, they've heard such and such about this breed. So, um, it's, it's, that's probably the hardest part to overcome is, is mm-hmm. what, Bubba said once about the, the Irish setter that they saw that lived, you know, down the street. So it's just, that's, that's the handicap. Um, they, they're bird dogs, they, you know, and they better be bird dogs. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you get the challenge of, of some people that have bred for the structure, for the show world. Um, but sure. even most of those dogs should point birds. I mean, it's, it's there. Mm. I've owned them. I know that they can point sure. birds and they hunt birds. They're just not going to do it quite the same as my, as my dogs, but they yeah. still better be bird dogs. And, and they are, most of them are. Yeah. So. That's awesome. Do you show any of your dogs or are they just strictly field? Um, every dog that lives with me right now is strictly field. I okay. still co-own um, a show dog or two, um, but they don't live with me. I will okay. show them, you know, once a year at the national dog, you know, Irish Setter National Dog okay. Show. Um, but for the most part, no, I don't show my own dogs. I don't own, you know, I own but I don't own. I know I own them, but I don't own them. You know, like they're, they're yeah, yeah, they yeah. live with their co-owners. They're happy there. Gotcha. They're, you gotcha. know, that's their world. Okay. And then last thing I was going to ask uh, before we kind of wrap this thing up was, will you will you raise any litters now that you're on the road and traveling? Like, how will that look for you guys? I, um, it's quite challenging. I have three eight-week-old puppies right now. Um, oh, really? And it has been yes. Oh wow. It's, it's been challenging. I was bummed when she only had three, but 
I think that was the biggest blessing I've ever had in my life. Can you imagine <laughs> like, if she had like was, 10? It was spectacular. Thank God for three <laughs> puppies. So um, we have made it work. Um, luckily, our horse trailer is big enough to have like a well-being box, um, which is now the puppy box. Like we've made it taller. So, it, sure. you know, it's where they sleep and such and, and eat. Um, they're learning to be house dogs. They're being crate trained. You know, I'm taking them on truck rides and stuff every day. Um, and luckily with where we're at, I'm able to take them on puppy walks. Um, just recently was able to start doing that because I had their first vaccination. So sure. um, we're doing puppy walks and stuff. So I've made it work. Yeah. I will not do another winter. Like I like winter litters. Oh, winter I do while not you're like traveling. winter litters while we're traveling Oof, in this. It is not. Yeah, because the minute the weather's bad, they're stuck inside this horse trailer, and that's yeah. not fun. So that's um, gonna be tough. we will do another breeding in this trailer. It will not be a winter. In the winter. Okay. <laughs> I will guarantee <laughs> you're like, you. You're like, I can, it yeah. Will, yeah, like, it will not happen again. <laughs> so, but this was a situation. I had to breed this bitch because she had um, she had, had pyometria last time. So it, I didn't have a choice. Um, okay. I had to breed her um, as per my repro specialist. So, what, Can you explain what that means exactly? Like um, pyometria is an infection um, that they have after they come in heat. They can get pyometria. It's one of the risks of keeping an intact female. So um, we treated her through the pyometria, but in order to increase our, you know, to um, increase our chances of having a healthy cycle again, we have to breed her the next cycle. And we did. So so we bred her. She had three puppies um, and life is good she's she's healthy the puppies are yeah. healthy oh, that's good. you know and that's i great. you know thankfully there was only three so yeah yeah <laughs> not a huge litter, litter. no nope, yeah nope. it was yeah. perfect and are you are you raising those dogs to are you gonna possibly keep some of those puppies or are, are you selling all those so or i will keep one and um the owner of the sire will keep one okay. and as her stud fee puppy and then i'm placing one puppy so and he's going to go to a hunting slash potentially field trial home and he's also a pet home so nice. um, it's pretty ideal okay that's awesome I, this is another fasc- fascinating question i always like to ask um people who are, who are breeding and, and trialing their dogs a lot what what are you looking for to make your decision on that, on the puppy you keep? Oh, I don't, I, you know, like I, I honestly don't know what it is that draws me to some of my puppy choices. Okay. It's not always something that I can say, see how, you know, it's just the little things. This dog um, has the most presence in the litter. I think they're hmm. all three independent in their own ways. When I take them for their walks, I like things sure. that all three of them do. Um, but this dog is just a little, a little more look at me. And that's, Okay. The, the, you know, if you looked at them, you might say the other dog saying, look at me, <laughs> sure. but for in the eyes of the beholder. Yep. But for me, that's <laughs> this, this puppy is just saying, you know, that, that I'm the one. So that's the yeah. one we're keeping. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I, you know, I always love that question because you get different answers. People say, Oh, well this dog did this first and this dog did this first and that. And yeah. Like, like this oh. dog climbed out of the well-being box first. Yeah. Like, yeah. Eh, different things eh. like that. And <laughs> <laughs> you're just, you just have that you know, feeling kind of, you just gotta go yep. with it. Yep. Trust the gut. That's what I say. Trust your gut. I love it. Awesome. Well, a couple more things here before we uh, wrap up. Um, Closing question is, uh, you know, the piece of advice you give to a a new upland hunter out there um, who's just getting into hunting, um, maybe trialing as well. I I know we touched on that a little earlier. So um, what's something you'd share with a a new hunter out there? Um, I would say that um, for a new hunter, um, find somebody who will help you get into birds because um 
and, and, and earn their trust because, you know, so often we'll take a friend hunting and then they'll take their friends to that same spot and then they take their friends. And next thing you know, you can't ever go back there, but <laughs> find somebody um, who can, who can kind of show you the ropes and, and make a friend because um, I think more so than going out and finding birds is the camaraderie of mm-hmm. meeting people who, who are like-minded and mm-hmm. want to see, you know, want to see each other succeed without, you know, annihilating the bird population like but the the friendships are huge and that's um far more significant than having you know than having successful day after after successful day like yeah that's that's it the the camaraderie so i love it i love it awesome and then a couple rapid fire round questions here for you uh first one is gonna be uh for you kelly what came first the dog the gun or the bird um, the dogs definitely came first. I was born into that. So dogs. Can, can you repeat that? You, you broke up just a second. Okay. Am I clear now? Yep. Can you hear me? Okay. The dogs definitely came first for me far yes. before the okay. birds of the gun. Okay. All right. Kind of had a hunch that'd be your answer. <laughs> <laughs> just a little. <laughs> yeah, just, just, just a little bit. Um, what gun are you carrying into the field when you're hunting and why? Um, I am carrying a, ben- uh, no, I'm carrying an 870 right now. And that is a loner gun because mm, I've had the worst gun purchasing luck ever. Oh, no. But right now, uh, my, my old Richland arms, um, side by side, the firing pins broken and it's been broken oh, no. for like two and a half years cause COVID <laughs> and they couldn't get someone to make a firing oh, pin, geez. blah, blah, blah. Oh, so gosh. I'm borrowing a gun. So it's an 870 right now, just nice. a 20 gauge. Okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, favorite breed of dog besides the ones you own? Um, if I didn't own, I mean, I own a Vishla and that's, you know, a, a token Vishla. That's that's our pet and hunting companion. But, <laughs> but if my favorite breed of dog after Irish setters is going to be Gordon setters. Gordon. Okay. And, yeah, and why? Yeah, Expand on that. Um, why, why the Gordon? I've, I've, Ran, I've ran and I've trained with and I've scouted and I've hunted okay. with some spectacular Gordons, um, better better dogs than my dogs. Um, you know, there's there's been one or two really great ones that I've had dealings with, and um, they are just they're classy. You know, they look like my dogs, but black and tan, and that's just <laughs> they're striking. Um, and yeah. when you get a really nice one, it's it's really cool. Um, one day I will own a very nice Gordon. Um, it's just gonna. I have to wait for the right breeding and for one, you yeah. know, for the timing to be right for me. Sure. So that's awesome. That's, I, know, I, would, I would love to hunt over a Gordon. I'd love to hunt over a freaking red setter as well. <laughs> so many dogs I want to hunt over now. <laughs> well, head east, head east. <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah. It's a long way from Colorado, but I would love to. <laughs> um, all right. A couple more here. Uh, what's one piece of gear you would never hunt without? And I have to start putting the um, rules on this question because <laughs> okay. people are like, oh, my gun, my dog. Okay. It's not what, like, excluding like the critical essentials, like the dog, the gun, the boots, um, like that kind of stuff. So like a piece of gear, like you're not going to leave your trailer. I was going to say your home, your trailer home um, without. Um, my Fenix watch. I mean, I, I always okay. have the Garmin on, um, but my Fenix watch, when it comes to hunting with my dog, like I don't, I used to kill my batteries just checking my garments and checking my Garmin mm. and whatever else. 
I love my Fenix watch because yeah. um, when my dog's on point, I just look down at my watch. I don't have to fumble and get my Garmin out and look at it. I can just look down at my wrist and keep walking and look down at my wrist and keep walking. Um, so yeah. when a dog's on point, it's just, I don't have to worry about other things. I look at my watch, I have my gun, I'm looking for my dog. Like it's, it simplifies things. Oh, yeah. it's glorious. I love my just watch. Just those quick little, because all you need to do is a quick glance. You just need to know, you know, yardage, yeah. and, direction. And you know, how easy is it to walk with your hand, you know, and it, carrying a gun and just kind of flip your wrist yeah. a little bit as opposed yeah. to having to lift. I've lo- I've me, lost a Garmin handheld. Hand right. Yeah. And I've lost one hunting because, oh, you know, I, I drop it and I shoot and I go find my bird. Next thing yeah. you know, I'm hunting again and I realize I don't have my Garmin <laughs> oh, and I have no idea where it <laughs> okay. is that I picked they up my gun to shoot. They need to put a, G- a GPS tracker in the handhelds, honestly. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I now like, have a on. tag. I've got one of those darn air tags or whatever to put on oh. my Garmin. And there you go. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So oh, I have smart. the ability to find it, but then hopefully I don't lose my phone too, because then I'll never find yeah. anything. Well, then so. you're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, that's that's smart. You just like uh, like tethered onto the handheld case. Yep, sure did. That's, it oh, works out really a well. Good for me. idea. A little project for tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, a couple more here. Favorite bird to hunt and why? Um, Bob Whites because they're. Huh? you know, that they are going to, um, one, when they flush, I mean, there's nothing like a nice covey getting up around Mm. you. And two, I mean, they're just spectacular for training dogs. You can Mm. usually watch them land. You can get on singles. Um, you know, they just are, they call them the gentleman's, you know, gentleman Bob Mm. for a reason. There's nothing like fine tuning a dog on Bob whites. So, you know, other birds will be flightier and teach the dogs not to pressure and so on and so forth. But, you know, that it's just the best, best training bird hmm. for me. That's awesome. Uh, your go-to snack you take on a hunting trip. Um, sorry about that. My go-to snack um, is probably Premier Protein Shakes because they're really easy to carry around and have, you know, or that or a cutie orange. Like, um, there you those, go. those two things are almost always going to be in the truck when oh, I'm uh, orange and the know, protein shakes. Juice. Yeah. Yeah. Between the two, you know, between different fields, I'm going to either drink yeah. a shake or, or peel an orange. Yes. I, so I'm a, I'm a big fan of those shakes as well. I have a whole bunch of them in my, uh, uh fridge in the garage. Um, but the other day, here's a, here's a little pro tip for everyone. This is bonus uh, material for everyone out there. <laughs> um, so I left my, it was really cold the other night and I, I pre-packed my cooler and everything the night before I went hunting. Um, so I had a, the shake in the cooler outside. So in the morning I'm drinking my protein shake, driving to my hunting spot and it was a little chunky. Like it was just a little frozen and chunky. It just wasn't a great experience. It just was not. I want a nice, smooth protein shake. This this was not. So you don't want to chew your don't, protein don't shake. Them, no, no. It it just kind of I don't know. Just kind of was a little weird. But anyways, that's uh, that's for another podcast. Um, last question: beverage of choice after a hunt. Um, if it's warm out, a summer shandy, and if it's cold. Uh, blue moon. Oh, blue moon. Haven't yeah. heard that one on here before. <laughs> yeah, it's those, those are my two drinks of choice. Love it. Love it. Well, Kelly, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for, uh, for carving out some time, uh, in your week and, uh, just, just sharing your journey and your passion with us about, uh, your dogs and trialing and all sorts of stuff. So, um, I really, really appreciate this. 
my, my pleasure. I appreciate you having me on and hopefully um, somebody can, can learn something from, you know, some of the ramblings I had and um, find some inspiration <laughs> to try something new. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and what's your, what's the best way to keep in touch with you or follow along on your journey, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, things like that? Um, it would for sure probably be my, my Instagram is probably where I post the most dog and hunting related stuff. Um, and for that, it would be Quantanus. It's Q-U-A-N-T-O-N-A-S underscore Irish. Um, but Facebook, I add, you know, I, I'm usually willing to add people um, as friends as long as we have mutual friends that hunt, um, you know, and <laughs> don't go on political rants because I don't, that's not why I, I'm on social media. So, um, yeah, if you want to follow along on, on that's a good, Instagram, good criteria. Though, you, see, <laughs> you know, I just want to see way dogs. To, way, to, way to set those stuff. boundaries just up front. Way to set the boundary. Like, if we yep. don't have mutual friends and if, if you're going to go on political rants. <laughs> Yeah, then we're not meant not to be. Happen. So <laughs> that's a that's a no. Yeah. <laughs> but but yep, that's um, between those two areas. That's where you can see the most content from me. My husband um, documents a that's lot awesome. of our field trials and our travels and our hunting and horseback stuff um, on his YouTube. Oh, nice. Um, and that's Red Beard Outdoors. Oh, cool. So if anybody wanted to watch field trial Red videos, Beard? see Red Beard Outdoors. That's his YouTube. Okay. okay. Um, and I can send you a link oh, for cool. that so you can have it. But it's um, – Oh, that's awesome. He does all kinds of like shortened down field trial stuff. So you can see what yeah. it's like to – what it happens at field trials without having to go and attend one. You can really kind of get oh, an idea of so what it's cool. all about. So um, we have lots of bird dog stuff on there on his YouTube. So that's that's what I would encourage if somebody wanted to see what it was really like. Yeah. I will I will link that in uh, in the show note description. So awesome! If people want to check that out, they can uh, take a look, and I think that'd be really cool. Cool, thank you. Very and then much. last I question that. I got to ask before we before we hang up is Quantanus Irish. What what is what is that? So um, my grandma, who just passed away uh, two weeks ago, was the reason oh, she was a professional AKC dog handler, um, okay. and she had three dogs: Quanta, Tonka, and Ponderosa, and um, they were, um, the found, like she used their three names to come up with Quantanus. It was Quantanus German Shepherds. Um, and that was back in the sixties and seventies. And so when I got into, when I finally started breeding Irish setters, um, I couldn't figure out what my register, my kennel name was going to be. And I realized, you know, I'd be stupid to not, use her kennel name because that's that's the reason hey, i'm in hey Kelly, we're, so sorry we're gonna have to back up real quick okay. so when, uh just pick up from um the dogs the three dog names okay so she had three german shepherds named Quana, tonka and ponderosa and she combined their three names to make quantanus and so um that was back in the 60s and 70s and so when i started breeding irish setters i thought to myself i need a kennel name and um so that stood out to me i was like well there's no reason i can't use her kennel name and kind of carry on that legacy mm. um because she was long done breeding dogs and competing sure. so so i took over her kennel name it was Quantanus german shepherds and now it's Quantanus irish setters oh so that's really cool yeah it's a family that's special name. that is special i love that i've, I've always wanted Thanks. to ask you that and so i'm glad i got to do that <laughs> so. yeah i appreciate that yep, yeah it's very important course. to me of course i'm sorry you're you're it sounds like your grandma recently passed that's that's always hard to that's you know I, she was she's the reason I am in dogs and so I am very yeah. grateful for the time with her. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Kelly, thank you again. This has been so much fun, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you, Will. Thanks.
Well, that's a wrap of episode 74, which is part two of my episode with Kelly Aiken from Quantanus Irish Setters. Uh, Kelly, thank you so much for carving out the time and sharing more of your journey, uh, sharing more about the Red Setter, your dogs, uh, breeding. Um, I think it's been a really fun conversation, and I hope it can be encouraging to other people. Uh, maybe to get out there and try a field trial. Go ask some questions. Um, run a couple braces. I think that's such an um a really cool part uh, of bird dogs is the competing aspect. And I think that was very, very clear. Um, you love that, that competing style and competing nature. So um, anyways, thank you for that. Hey guys, uh, make sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Um, really would help the show get out there to more hunters, um, more bird dog lovers just like you. Um, stay tuned next week. I got a great conversation coming up with Jared Wicklin from Pheasants Forever, uh, talking a lot about habitat, public lands, and a little preview of Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic coming up in February. So stay tuned for that episode. And uh, until next week, go put some miles on those boots and follow your favorite bird dog. Take care.